Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you, you're able to join us on this Tuesday afternoon. And I'm just trying to get multiple things going. We are going live, aren't we, Jonathan? Uh, yes, we okay. are. Good. And let me bring Jonathan in. How are you doing, Jonathan? <clears throat> uh, I'm doing good. How are good. you doing? I'm doing great now that I know everything is working on, on, uh, on both ends. And uh, Stephen, good to have you here. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Drew. Good to see y'all. Good to see you. And I was going to say hi, Scott, but Scott is, there he is. Hey, Scott, good to see you. Scott is our program director. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well. Good. And I'm Drew, your Tuesday edition host. Glad to have everyone with us. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, be sure to use the Q&A or the chat box to give us your comments and questions. We, want, we are inviting you to um, participate in the discussion with us as we go through the program. And if you're coming in on the Facebook page, obviously use your uh, comment box there and we'll be monitoring all incoming uh, comments and questions. All right, Scott, so uh, am I leaving anything out? I don't think so. Oh, if you're coming in, if any of you are, we get a lot of people also watching or listening to the program through our podcast. And we're really thankful that those of you are can't come in live during the live program that you're doing that. But we do want to invite you to go to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, and things you'd like to uh, talk about, discuss, uh, please go there and fill out the form on that website, BibleQuest.tv. So with all of that stuff said, Scott, where are we going today? What are we doing? Uh, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And I want to remind our audience, we would love to hear from you today. If you've got a comment on the material we're talking about, a question, a passage that you'd like to bring up or uh, have addressed, uh, please let us hear from you. Uh, and again, Drew, just remind them there's two ways they can make comments correctly. Yeah, they could, on the, if you're commenting on the Zoom app, coming in through the Zoom app that you get at BibleQuest.tv. There's a uh, Q&A uh, button link and there's a, a chat window link. Just pop up those windows and type away in, in there. If you're coming in on, the, on your Facebook page, Scott's Facebook page, obviously you know how to do that under the comment thing, under the video. Now keep in mind, I, I, I want to remind everyone, on the Facebook page, usually Facebook is coming in about 18 seconds delayed from the actual um, broadcast. Just be aware of a delay. All right, so we're going to talk about forgiveness. And I'll just kind of outline some broad areas, and our panelists will take us uh, in, in a variety of directions. There's more to say about forgiveness, and we'll have time in our time today. So we'll see where our panelists go and where our audience chooses to go with questions. But some broad areas that we want to be sure to hit would be number one, why do we need forgiveness? What do we need forgiveness from? Who needs forgiveness? You know, a rock doesn't need forgiveness. Uh, who does need forgiveness and why? How is forgiveness possible? And how are we to respond if we want forgiveness? And what is our duty to other people in regard to forgiveness? So let's, let's begin with why should we be concerned about forgiveness? And I wanna throw a second question out there too. Why do people underestimate the importance of forgiveness? 
let's start with that. Go ahead, guys. Well, I think one of the easy things uh, for people to do is to look around at the world and say, man, there are a lot of rotten people out there who need forgiveness, buddy. Look at that guy over there and this woman over here and like, whoa, you know, like I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, you just turn on the news and like, here's this rotten thing and that rotten thing. And I'm not, I'm not, didn't make the news today. So must've been a good day. You know, I'm glad I'm not one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. What, Drew just went where I was thinking. What's a passage that exactly describes that type of attitude? I don't know the exact reference. It's the Pharisee who was praying. Thank you, Lord. I'm not like that. Uh, Luke 18. Luke, yeah. Okay, yeah, right. I'm, I'm not 18. like him. Then I do I, this, I do that, I do everything. So I'm a good guy. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And of course, the tax collector in verse 13, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what are some of the reasons that we can slide into the idea that sin is other people's problem, forgiveness is other people's need, but God's probably pretty impressed with me. Wow. That's, uh, that, that's like self-righteousness, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, it I is. Mean, however bad you are, you can always find someone who's worse. And it's easy, no matter how righteous or unrighteous we are, to find somebody to make us feel good about ourselves and excuse our own sins. It's a whole lot easier to see sin when it's out there and not when it's in here. Because it's when it's in my own heart, it's a whole lot easier to make excuses for yeah. it and say, well, you don't understand. I, you know, and uh, that we just have to, to realize our need for forgiveness, all of us. Jonathan. Yeah, also in, uh, in Proverbs 21 and verse 2, um, it, there are a lot of times whenever I read uh, different things in the scriptures that I'm like, wow, um, they're directly calling me out <laughs> in that verse. Um, and Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Um, and I, I look at myself, it's really easy for me to assume, like it makes sense why I do the things that I do most of the time. Like I don't do the things that I do assuming that I'm wrong. <laughs> Otherwise I wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, and so 99.9% .9 of the time in my life, the actions that I choose to take, the words that I choose to use, whatever, I'd say that I do those things because I think I'm right. <laughs> um, and it's easy to be blinded by that, but it's also easy to see when people aren't doing what you think is right and to call them out for it. And Jesus warns about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in, uh, Matthew chapter six, he uh, is talking about that or Matthew chapter, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter six and seven, he's talking about that. Um, but I, in the parallel passage in Luke six, I want to read that Luke six, verse, uh, 39, 
He also told them a parable saying, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log that is in your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. So this is a problem that Jesus was very aware of. People are really quick to see the problems everywhere else, but don't notice sometimes the bigger problem within their own life. Why is that? Exactly. Why, why is that? Pride. Pride. Uh, also, guilt hurts. We don't like it. Right. And so we seek to excuse it. Uh, it Stephen's going to take us to a question that just came in here online. But after that, I want to pose this question, or you might have some other comment. Um, give some examples from the Bible of people who, when they're wrong, make excuses. There's a lot to be learned from that because it's the exact wrong approach. But go ahead first, Stephen. Yeah, we just had a comment come in from CJ about Luke 18, 11. Uh, he says, some versions say in regard to the Pharisee, he prayed thus with himself. And uh, it may be, you know, he's not really praying to God. He's uh, <laughs> praying kind of about himself. But I want to just to say, I mean, we're, we're just in this, we've had this very, very intense political cycle. And one of the biggest problems that goes on with kind of the two party thing we've got going on right now is a failure to recognize the sins of one side or the other and excusing of wrong in some areas and not in others. And I'm not saying this, this is not a one sided thing. This happens on both sides. But it, it's just, it's a sad thing. And, and it comes back to what happens with us personally is, well, okay, I might have done wrong, but they did worse. They, and, and, and there's this deflection of, of, of responsibility because, well, I might be bad, but as long as somebody's worse than I am, that's where your blame needs to go. And the thing is, we just have to be willing to call out sin wherever it is. And we have to be willing to start with ourselves. I want to make a comment on that. And then I want to, I want you guys to give some examples of people who would, instead of realizing they were wrong and needed forgiveness, they gave excuses. But I'd like to throw out a quick illustration. Um, if uh, a little old lady from a law-abiding town, like say Mayberry RFD, you know, uh, travels to the big city and her car gets broken into and they steal her stereo. How, how seriously does she take that crime? That's, that's a big deal, right? So she's expecting the police to come out, maybe dust for fingerprints. You know, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. She's in the middle of a big city where they've got a bunch of crime going on and she may be distressed that it's not taken more seriously than it is. But if you go into a jail, into a prison, and you start asking the prisoners how serious crime is. Well, the prisoners will acknowledge that crime is a problem, but the prisoners can always find some other prisoners to look down onto that I'm not as bad as them. The problem is because we've all sinned, we've all put ourselves in that spiritual criminal zone. So it, when, when human beings are down here saying, I'm not as bad as them, it's like a bunch of criminals saying, 
you know, not realizing how they would be viewed by somebody from the outside. And God is outside our sin and above our sin and holding us accountable for our sin. So let's look at some of these excuses. Instead of wanting forgiveness, give me some examples, Drew. The first one that goes to mind is in Genesis 3. Adam is the first one. He sins. And in verse 3, verse 11, the Lord says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of the, which I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said right away, The woman you gave me, Lord. She gave me the, tree, the fruit of the tree and I ate it. He's blaming God, throwing her under the bus at the same time and blaming God that, hey, it's the one you gave me. And then she's not uh, doing much different, right? She, in verse 13, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. Right. They didn't ask for forgiveness. They just were pushing right. the blame. Yeah, yeah, very good. I and guess that's natural then. It comes natural from the beginning. We all have this. And it's selfish. It's it's other selfish. selfish. Yeah, later on, there's um, a lot of times the reaction whenever you don't ask for forgiveness is because you're shifting the blame. You want someone else to to take yep. the blame for you. Sometimes there are examples of people that don't ask for forgiveness because they just don't realize um, their, their eyes haven't been opened to it yet. So I think of King David, um, who commits some pretty egregious sins. He commits adultery. He murders a man, murders some other men in the process of murdering a man. Um, and he's just living his life like everything is normal in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And the end of 2 Samuel 11 says uh, in verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. Um, that's the man that David had killed. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, the woman that he committed adultery with. And then the last, ver the last sentence in that chapter says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And then the whole like next chapter in chapter 12 is about Nathan coming to David and telling yeah. him a little story about someone that stole something that didn't belong to him yeah. and mistreated another person. And David is outraged. He's angry. He realizes, yeah, if something like that happened, that's terrible. And that man deserves death. And then Nathan says, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> and David's eyes are open. He's like, oh man, I, had, I didn't even realize, which is really weird to think like you just killed people committed adultery but you didn't you didn't think that that would is in some way putting you in the wrong and it just goes to show how how blind people can be to their own pride and ego yeah through pride and ego but i don't think it's that david didn't realize he was doing wrong but he he was blinding himself to how wrong it was because he's the king right occasion right. because for instance if he didn't think it was wrong why not just bring your eye back and say, oh, by the way, I committed adultery, you know, with your wife. Yeah. Uh, and right. and yeah. say, hey, tell Jay, uh, Joab to have you killed. <laughs> doing things underhanded because he knows, hmm. but he's, he's there, it's, we become calloused. Hmm. And, and, and we can say things like, nobody's perfect. Hmm. And, a, and also, isn't it the king can do whatever he wants attitude? Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think it is. Okay, another example or two of excuses instead of seeking forgiveness, one or two more examples. Well, one, one again on the positive side that I appreciate is Joseph in Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife is trying to get him to sin. I can think of probably half a dozen excuses that Joseph could have made. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm completely alone. I'm away from family. Nobody's going to know. She started it. You know, any number of excuses 
yeah. of a, a, a young single guy sold into slavery in the foreign land of Egypt <laughs> could have made yeah. Yeah. to justify what he could have done there. But I love what he says. Um, he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I mean, he yeah. just tells it like it is. This is what it would be if I did this. So I realize that's on the other end of it, but it's refreshing to see when somebody makes no excuses and, yes. and, and resists. Yes. So in a minute, the next uh, question is going to be, how is forgiveness possible? And I want you guys to take us through the idea of, of what atonement and redemption is and how that plays into it. But before we leave this problem of our problem of sin, uh, go ahead, Jonathan, and then Stephen. Yeah, just really quick, on, on the same lines of what we were talking about, CJ had a good example with uh, right after the first example of Adam, there's Cain, um, who kills his brother, Abel, <laughs> and Cain's response whenever he's confronted by the Lord, am I my brother's keeper? Um, you know, I didn't do anything wrong or, or whatever. I don't know if that was his attitude, but he just kind of diverts, moves away from that. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and, and there was Aaron with the with the golden calf and, and, and Saul. I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord and that type of thing. Um, I think Aaron gets bottom 10 excuses. <laughs> yes, he really does. I threw in the gold and the calf came out. Like, okay, dude. Like, you could at least have been creative. Like, come on, man. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we talked about it a few minutes before the program started. I've actually, I've spoken with people who don't believe or think that they are sinful to the extent that they need forgiveness. And I can, I can identify with that when I was younger, uh, before I became a Christian and kind of felt that, that, you know, I'm not a bad person. I don't need forgiveness. What are you talking to me about forgiveness for? And that's exactly the words that I was, that was thrown at me. Um, so that, that's the question that I would or go ahead. Did we, did no, no, we, that was it. I, we, uh, uh, extrapolate on that. That's the very thing I want us to get at before we move to the cross. Right. And that is each of you, what's either a biblical passage that will really bring it home or a practical way of thinking about this to get us realize to realize instead of I'm a pretty good person and nobody's perfect to really appreciate the problem of our own sin. We'll start with Stephen. One that I was just reading recently that kind of stood out to me is in Revelation 20. And it talks about the final judgment in the latter part of that chapter in Revelation 20 in verse 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so when you think about, like, you've got, like, the book of life, but then you've got, like, all these other books. And apparently what's in those other books is everything that everybody has done. And when you slow down to think about if there's a book somewhere that has everything that I've done in it, all the good and all the nasty, selfish, rotten things that I've done, how many people do I want to have access to that book? It's like, I don't care how good you've been. 
nobody wants to have a book of everything they've done open and especially on judgment day when right. god is the one judging and it says that's what judgment day is going to be like is all the books are open and all the things that i've done are there to see except in the book of revelation you have a picture of people who have been washed in the blood of the lamb They've made their robes white in the blood of the lamb. It's not because they've been, been sinless. It's not because they've been perfect. Right. It's because they've had their sins washed away. And if you think about your book, if it was opened up and then you saw that there was blood in it covering over the sins right. that I've done, that's what forgiveness is about, is yeah. the forgiveness of what we've done so that on judgment day, those things are not held against us. Yeah. Like in Revelation 7, their robes are white because they were washed in the blood. I'm thinking of verse, of verse 23 in uh, Romans 3, where at the end of 22, it says, Paul says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I'm lying to myself. Right. In fact, John says that too. If any man says that he's sinned, he's he's a liar. And he, and if he says you have never sinned, you're making God a liar. Right. Right. Exactly. Jonathan. Oh yeah, I think about the uh, what we commonly call the rich young ruler. Um, whenever he comes to Jesus, yeah. and in uh, Luke chapter 18, um, in verse 18, a ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And then Jesus responds, what is impossible with, uh, or what is impossible with man is possible with God. Um, and you think about that, there's this guy, what catches my attention in that story is there's a guy who conf is confronted by Jesus, or I guess confronts Jesus. And he asks, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And his response to that is, I have kept all of those from my youth. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you haven't. <laughs> um, now, I don't know if this guy was actually perfect or not. I suspect he probably wasn't. But Jesus kind of shifts it to a different thing. So you've got this guy who's, who's really good. <laughs> he's a really good guy. He hasn't done any of the big bad sins. He's honored his parents. He's, he's kind of above the normal kind of average person. But Jesus says, He's not going to be able to get in because he can't give up his love of money. Yeah, yeah. And the, the apostles have the same response I would of being like, "Well, who can get in? <laughs> you know, if this he guy, can, if this guy can't, then we're all we're all goners." Yeah, Drew. Uh, Joe brought in a, a comment um, addressing where I was going before. Like, why do we have this guilt? What? Why do we feel guilty? Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. And so he his comment says, "Conscience." If you are raised without responsibility, it is hard to develop. That's a very good point. And you can sear your conscience where you don't feel guilt. But it is interesting, like God has given us this characteristic. And if, if 
it's hard for someone if they've not been re raised with responsibilities it's hard for them to recognize when they're wrong that's a really good point if, if as parents we teach our children to respect for god and to you know apologize when they're wrong and and hold themselves accountable that makes a big difference because a lot of people are not raised like that and so i want to give an illustration to maybe help with people that don't see their sin is really that bad. Uh, first off, I'm going to do both of these quickly. Suppose all of us four and everybody in our audience right now took a piece of paper and we paused for 10 minutes and we thought back to the worst things we've ever done in life and we wrote down the top five, okay, in some detail. When you get done, what do you want done with that paper? This is like uh, Stephen said on the books. I want that burned. Cut it up, burn it. Or that gone. Well, that sin is on me. And if I go to judgment day with that sin on me, where do I go? I'm, I'm, I'm You're gone. That's the trash. Yeah. Um, now, to help realize it, here's a way that I think is effective. Um, in Genesis 3, what Satan did was he got Eve to not be afraid of God. You're not going to die. And this is going to make you like God. And then it was tempting for other reasons. So she traded God's will for her will. With that in mind, think about this. Suppose we got in an argument here. And, and Stephen said, I'm the most important person on the channel. Well, the other three of us would probably, you know, that's pretty arrogant and proud because all the rest of the three boss, no. <laughs> you know, we, we would say, that's really arrogant, Stephen. And then Jonathan says, huh, that can't be so because I'm the most important person in Pennsylvania. We're all from Pennsylvania, for those of you who don't know. And Drew says, you can't be the most important person in Pennsylvania because I'm the most important person in the world. And then if I finish it off, can you think of anything more arrogant than this? If I were to say, or anybody were to say, I'm more important than God. Can everybody see that that would be utterly wicked and rebellious? Now, I've never said those words. You've hopefully never said those words. They're claiming that we're that. But have you and I ever done what Eve did? Here's what God Almighty wants. Here's what I want. I go for it. Yeah. We didn't say the words, but based on our actions, we showed that we felt what we wanted was more what we wanted was more important than what the God of the universe wanted. Mm -hmm. Is that a mistake? Yep. Is that not being perfect? That's ugly and rebellious. Mm -hmm. So with that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. So how can we be forgiven? Well, when you get to that position, you can feel pretty pitiful. Um, and one thing that I want to, and I think that's kind of the point. And one thing that I want to point out before we get to the actual answer is the example of, of uh, Paul um, who realized that he was in a terrible situation, that he was an awful sinner, 
and that he didn't deserve anything other than death, but he was granted mercy. And I want to just read what he says about that because there's a, an easy tendency to, to feel like I'm awful and God will never forgive me or doesn't even want to forgive me um, or, or, or that type of mentality. And you read about the life of Paul and what Paul did um, and how he was given mercy. And in First Timothy chapter 1, whenever he's recounting that, he says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith that, and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Um, so kind of answers your original question, but also I just want to highlight the, the fact that Paul says, look, Basically, if I can be forgiven, anyone can be forgiven, right. Um, right. which is amazing to think about. That's right. Drew. Um, before I became a Christian, I was in the Navy. I was, in a, you know, I was a sailor. And I ha I've had um, people coming to me with, with different um, belief systems. I was raised in a denominational organization. And I was told that all, all I had to do was really believe in Jesus Christ. I'm trying to answer your question, Scott. How do you get forgiveness? And I was told, well, you just got to believe in Jesus Christ, accept him as your personal savior. Not, well, that sounds interesting. Okay. And then someone else actually handed me a prayer that I had to say. And so you just got to say that prayer. Well, I guess, I guess that implies that I believe Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And so the prayer got it, got it done. So for the, I never did that. I wasn't ready to go through that. Um, but that's what I was told. Um, and I've heard that since then, but I'm talking about from the point of view before I became a Christian and had my sins forgiven. That's what I was told. And that's a very popular answer right now. And we'll get toward that toward the end of the program. But having started with the problem of sin, and then later we'll talk about how to respond, in the middle is something terribly important for us to understand, Stephen. Yeah, the segue there is something I like to say is we quote Romans 3.23 a whole lot. That is the bad news. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But don't stop reading right there. Because the very next verse and verse is give us the good news. And this is actually interesting. This is the first mention of grace in the book of Romans. He spent the first three and two and a half, three chapters on this problem of sin. So verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. It was to show, show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We can unpack all of that he says there, but I just love that he goes right from the, sums up the bad news. We've all sinned, but we can all be justified by grace, by grace through by faith. This, this 
freely given grace. Not that there are no responsibilities. We'll get to that later. But it is a free gift. God did something for us so that we can be forgiven. Let's start getting to some specific verses. What is it exactly that was done, Stephen? Yeah, and just to, to clarify, a lot of belief systems out there, and even some who would say they're Christians, have the concept in their head, okay, so the way this works is, okay, all of sin, I have this much bad stuff written in my book. What I need to do is fill up the remaining pages of my book, of my stuff, with as much good stuff as I can possibly do. And, as, and if, if you divide it all out and the pages with the good are more than the pages with the bad, made it heaven for me, you know, like, and that is not the biblical picture. It's never the biblical picture because that the problem be considered is by works. That, yeah, yeah, that would be salvation by works. And, and it is just, that's not the way it is. So there's Ephesians 2, by grace have you been saved through works, not of yourselves, not of your works. And I love this from Titus. It says here, and if somebody have Isaiah 53 ready for us, please also. Titus chapter 2, it talks about in verse 13, uh, the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. Verse three of chapter three, we also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love toward man appeared, not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So let's have some verses on the atonement in Christ and the power of that to forgive and why we need it so desperately. Yeah, so you said Isaiah 53, I think, is one of the more powerful things to see what's going on in the whole sacrifice of Jesus. Um, I'll just start reading in verse 4. Uh, Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, and when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of our Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. This is like, wow, that's just yeah. so powerful to think that you're, you're the lamb that's gone and done your own thing, lived your own life and deserved to die. And you were, you know, supposed to get that. And then this other being stepped in and took it for you. Yeah. Um, and he didn't do anything wrong. And Isaiah kind of covers all of the bases. He didn't do anything wrong, right. but all of your iniquities, all of your sins are put on you 
or are put on him uh, instead of on you. It's just, wow, um, that he took the brunt of all of that punishment. And then you read in the Gospels about what physically Jesus had to go through, where, you know, he's beaten, he's scourged, he's, he's ridiculed, he's spit on, he's abandoned by all his friends, um, and then hung on a, hung on a cross, um, left there to suffocate and die. And it's like, wow, like, if any of us saw a perfectly innocent person go through all of that, it would outrage us. It should outrage us, I think, to see a perfectly innocent person go through all of that. And then to realize that innocent person is going through it to save all of the people that are doing it to him. <laughs> it's just incredible. Right. One more verse on that, and then I'm going to put some uh, slides up for a minute. One more verse on the atonement redemption. I just wanted to come back to Romans 3. We read this a moment ago, but in verse 26, uh, I love that it describes God as he is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And it's so important to see those two attributes of God. God is just, but he's also merciful. These are also mentioned in Exodus 34 in a really important passage there about God's nature. But for God to be just, he's not like this doting grandfather who's like, oh, I know what I said, but I love you. So forget about the bad thing. You disobeyed, but you get your candy anyway. You know, like right, right. God is just, he can't, it's in his nature to punish sin where it must be punished. But at the same time, he's merciful and for him to just throw the books at us and say, here's what you did. Here's what you did. And you're done. I mean, he would be just to do that. We deserve it, but he's both. And the only way he can be both is through the cross is for sin to be justly punished and paid for by the blood of his own son, Jesus. And so that we can be forgiven but not forgiven just because God's like, oh, don't worry about it, but it's paid paid for. It's paid in full by the blood of Jesus. And so when we've been redeemed, like it also says in Romans 3, so that leaves no glory. You know, it's somebody, I've often put it this way. We have to go to heaven as charity cases. Somebody else paid the bill and there needs to be devotion to that one, not uh, arrogance and presumption about about what we've done because what we did what we did was sin against god so coming now to what drew referred to before i want to share a screen here for a minute and uh kind of summing up some of what we've looked at here matthew 121 joseph was told name this child jesus the idea in that word the lord saves uh salvation is of yahweh Name this child that because he will save his people from their sins. Why do we need to be saved? Because of sin. How are we saved? Jesus. Who does he save? His people. How to respond. According to many churches and preachers in the U.S., it's like this. God loves you. And amen. John 3, 16. Sin has separated us from God. Amen. Romans 3, 23. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins. Amen again. Romans 5.8. I'm going to say a prayer. If you say that prayer with me, you will be saved. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's going to see you. If you pray this prayer with me, you will be saved. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I accept you into my heart as my personal Savior. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Now, I want, and if you have prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand with every head bowed, every eye closed, so nobody's going to see you. No looking around. No one's going to see you but me and God. By the way, this is what they do at like Joel Osteen's churches, church and a lot of uh, a lot of churches in the United States. Now, raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Don't worry, no one will see you. I see that hand. I see that hand, etc. So, question: Is that what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost? No. no. Somebody read us what uh, Peter taught on the day of Pentecost. How, how, how much of it do you want us to read? Well, we yeah. just a couple of minutes, so start <laughs> with verse 36. Yeah, so in Acts chapter 2, uh, the conclusion of, of Peter's sermon, after proving who Jesus was, he says, let all the house of Israel know, this is verse 36, uh, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Uh, there was no bowing your head and raising your hand there. And he, when they asked what to do, he said, repent. Now, why didn't he tell them to believe? Because they've already been convicted. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the word. When they heard this. They were cut to the heart, and they asked what to do. So he doesn't back up and say believe, because he's got them that far. And now he says repent, which means change your mind and, and, and turn around, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, is this system we just saw? Is that what Philip was taught? Did that, is that what he taught the unit? Yeah. No. No, exactly. here's water. Put this in me to be baptized. Oh, I'm sorry. He left out. He left out that. Right. Uh, is that what Paul did? Ananias. What did Ananias say to Paul? Paul had been praying for three days. In Acts 22, 16, when Ananias got there, what did he tell Paul? Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Call on the name of the Lord. Yeah. This is this way that we just saw on the screen. That's not the way people came to Christ in the New Testament. That prayer is not in scripture. And if I'm not being willing, to, if I'm not willing to be seen with Christ, am I with Christ? Uh, I've got a few minutes left. Let me there was a comment that came in uh, from Joe on that. And I think it, it relates to what you were just talking about. Like naming, it seems so simple or too simple. Um, it, it does seem simple to believe and repent and be baptized which connects you actually going into the water is a grave it's a burial it's what connects you with the blood of christ and it is simple but for some reason it seems hard for people well and it it requires some humility yeah that's why it's hard it, it, some people say oh no that'll be saving yourself by your own works no it's not in the first place baptism is something it's not even something you do it's, it's some, something done to you right secondly it's not some work done in righteousness. It's an act of humiliation of, in faith. It, you, you, you realize, I need to put to death the old man. What did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, Luke 9, 23, you must deny self and take up your cross. Romans 6, crucify the old man. 
So it's realizing I'm that stuff. I blew it. The old person needs to die. And what do you do with the dead? You crucify, you put that person to death, and you bury that corpse in baptism, trusting in the blood of Christ and rising to walk in newness of life in service to him. That's faith in Christ as directed by scripture. And we, we, we confess, Romans 10 also talks about if you confess him with your mouth as Lord, but what does the word Lord mean? Master. It's not just something you, you can say and not do. Jesus said, you know, James says, you know, uh, I've forgotten, be hearers of the word, not doers only. If we're going to confess him as Lord, we're, that should be like a covenant. I'm agreeing, you're going to be Lord and I'm going to obey you. And part of that is that repentance, that denial of self, that burial of self, rising to walk. Stephen and then Drew. Drew had his hand up first. Go ahead. A, a, I see a contrast totally different from the that, that chart you had up there with the people bowing their head. No one heard them. They were saying it to themselves, that prayer, and no one was looking at anybody else, as opposed to a public humiliation of being buried. And when Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a car salesman gimmick of getting somebody to make a minimal commitment and hook them into something. It's a psychological manipulation, Stephen. Mm -hmm. and, and what's amazing about that is coming back to the theme of forgiveness that we're talking about today, that by God's grace, a sinner goes down into that water and a forgiven child of God comes up out of the water. Yeah. And that's just amazing to think about, you, you know, th that is when we become son, a son or a daughter of God. And I, I think about Jesus's own baptism when, when Jesus was baptized. Now he didn't have any sins to wash away, of course, but he's baptized. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, that's when God sends the Holy spirit down on him in the form of a dove and says, this is my beloved son and him. I'm well pleased. And there's a sense in which, of course, we're not the son of God in the same sense as Jesus, but we're also adopted sons and daughters of the king. And there's a sense in which when we're baptized, the same thing can be said of us. It, here in Acts 2, he says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's at that point that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And so just powerful to think about that, that God forgives us, makes us his, his own when we respond in faith uh, when we're baptized. And let's do this chart and then just mention briefly because we're out of time about once a person is a Christian, because we still will fall short and need forgiveness. So we'll touch on that in just a second. But let's just sum up about our response and faith, some of this. Biblical faith repents. That's the decision of faith. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to stop doing things my way. I'm going to do things God's way. It repents, it denies self. Biblical faith repents. Biblical faith confesses Jesus as Lord, that he's the master and I'm to obey him. Biblical faith is baptized. The person in faith, they're baptized. Not that they're doing a great job of getting wet, but they're trusting in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. And then biblical faith walks in the light, follows him. And will we ever, Jesus said, you know, put to death that old man, 
in, in that idea of bearing the cross, but he said bearing the cross daily because that old man likes to come back to life. So as we're walking in the light, should we say, I never ever sin? First John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, why? If we walk in darkness and say, I've got fellowship with him, verse six says it's a lie. But in verse seven, it says, if we will walk in the light, why? Because he's in the light. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous forgiveness. He will cleanse us of our sins. Uh, and so there will sometimes be sin and it can be forgiven through Christ. And it, it tells you. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, your discussion today on that topic of the forgiveness of God. Um, it, it, I think ultimately his forgiveness is incredible and, and so hard, so hard to fully understand, but praise God that, that it is what it is um, for us. So um, to our audience members, if you all have any other uh, further questions or comments or anything you'd like to discuss uh, on that topic anymore, you can let us know about that. We'd be happy to talk with you. Or if any other uh, Bible questions that you have come up, you can submit those to BibleQuest.org, and we'll be happy to talk about those on our future shows uh, in the upcoming weeks. But with that, we will finish up for today, and Lord willing, see you all next week.